This episode of Diamond Talk is brought to you by Megaseats.com. Megaseats.com is your go-to website for buying tickets for your favorite sporting events, concert, or theater. Yeah, you heard me right. Go see a Yankee game during the day, then go see Springsteen on Broadway at night. It's that easy. This website is awesome. There are no service fees ever. There's no shipping to get you your tickets, and the website is super user-friendly. And right now, use the code SSAW Network for 10% off. I went and checked it out. I looked myself. You get a great map of the venue. You get to see where your seats are to watch whatever you're going to be watching. And when you enter in that code, you do get 10% off. And there's no service fees or shipping added. So the price you see is the price that you're actually going to pay. And I'm used to having to click through a couple different screens to see what my actual price is. Best thing about this website is whatever you see on that screen as you're perusing tickets, that is the price you're going to see on your receipt. So go to megaseats.com and get your tickets for the next sporting event and we'll see you on the field. everybody welcome back to diamond talk it is 2022 holy shit did that year go by fast man yo we're here with rob nick your usuals how you guys doing hey what's going on guys definitely good to be back uh i know we've been on a on a pretty long hiatus here (laughs) kind of going along with the mlb uh definitely gonna dive into that here but yeah definitely good to be back i'm good man we ain't on no lockout we're not we're not a you know, have any sort of differences with the contracts currently. So I'm ready to go talk some baseball, see what we can get going here. Yeah, c- currently uh, Rob, Nick, and I are in the middle of negotiations. So right, yeah, yeah. this is, this is us uh, showing good faith. Uh, we, and we're we all trying to lead. That's why we're going nowhere right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, but look, seriously, guys, in the MLB world, and that kind of relates to us too, is there's nothing going on right now. You know, we didn't have winter meetings. We didn't have owner meetings. Right now, everything is at a standstill due to the MLB lockout. And the one thing that, that we know from 1992 is that that's usually bad news, right? Um, we haven't had a lockout since then. Um, we avoided one in the early 2000s. But he, here we are in 2022, and we have real concerns that, about whether baseball will be happening on time. You know, if you talk to most people, there's, they say it's a 100% chance that we won't start on time, meaning uh, delayed spring training, you know, especially how we had the COVID season no longer than two years ago. We, we know how that affects things. So, you know, biggest thing right now for, for the MLB and its players is, is getting this figured out. But, yo, Nick, I'll kick it over to you first because you probably remember 92 a little bit better than, than me and Rob since Rob wasn't around. And Rob wasn't even a twinkle <laughs> in his dad's eyes at that yeah, point. Like... <laughs> yo, so, Nick, you, you probably have the clearest experience with this because it went through your lifetime, man. Uh, you're going to be expecting a whole bunch of shit. To be honest with you, I mean, it was just, man, that you just just did the shit out of me. I was in senior league baseball, so I was 13 years old when this shit happened. I remember this very clearly. I mean, it was just bad. Like back then, there wasn't social media, there wasn't every single team on it on TV every single day, and you still hated it. That's why the stands were so empty, is because that was your entertainment was going to the games, and fans just locked out 
after everybody came back because we're like, why are you doing this to us? And now that it's on social media, bro, get the fuck out of here. The repercussions of this are going to be so immense for the owners. And if fans really have that downtime when they're wanting baseball, they're going to go actually look at this stuff and realize how greedy the owners are being. And the players are being greedy too, but you should, you're the product. What's wrong with making sure you can make a million dollars your first year in MLB instead of 625,000? There's nothing wrong with that because these owners are going from hundreds of millions to billions of dollars every year. And it's just, it's ridiculous. And with social media and the way everything is now, the way everything's so connected, it, the game is going to die pretty quickly. And I hate to say that because of how good of a spot it was in going into this offseason to have the playoffs that we had, to have the young stars come through, to have so many players that want to be the face of baseball. You've got Shea Otani absolutely saying, please give me this, which is insane. You have a foreigner coming in and just dominating the game for one year and then embracing the idea of being the face of baseball when the true face of baseball is on his team in Mike Trout but he just hasn't played. So there's a lot of sadness for me because I think this game was in such a good spot to really, I mean, I know it sounds weird, but maybe compete with NFL over the next five years. Cause the NFL trend is kind of going down a little bit. Not, you know, it's not getting weak by any means, but they they were trending in opposite directions. And this lockout, this, I, the season's not going to start on time. There's no way, there's no way these players are going to be healthy enough. There's no way the players are going to come back in time after signing an agreement. If they do anytime soon, I just don't see it. I'm hoping that they somehow readjust the season down to maybe 140 games and see if that might be their future plans every single year. Maybe not having 162. I know the players would like that. Maybe it is extending the playoffs with that. So you have more playoffs with less regular season. But it's uh, it's it's going to be a sad day for baseball. And <clears throat> I had a conversation with somebody the other day. It took literally the most cherished record in all of sports, really. I mean, the home run title in baseball at that time there was no other record that anybody wanted more in any sport. Not the scoring title in basketball, not the all-time yards and touchdown leader in football, not the most receptions in football, um, not the most goal scores in hockey. Like, There's no other single metric back then that was more important than the home run record in the single season. And you had two guys that played each other perfectly, Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa. Sammy Sosa wanted that attention. He was the Fernando Tatis Jr. of the time from a putting himself out there standpoint. And then you had the guy who wanted to be quiet, Mark McGuire, and them being friends and pushing each other. You literally could not have written a better story and a way for the game to come back. We're not going to have that this year. It's going to take all of these faces of baseball. It's going to take Tatis. It's going to take Vlad. It's going to take Trout. It's going to take Otani. All of these guys, it's going to take all of them to bring the game back because there's not going to be that stat chase or that incredible run to bring everybody back in. And that's the really scary part that, what happened with Maguire and Sosa was magical and it happened years later. So how many years are we going to have to wait and what's going to happen in the game to bring it back? I don't know if it's possible. Yeah. And it's one of those things where, where I want to pick up on is last year base was a good year for baseball where the numbers were up across the board. Attendance was up. Um, viewership was up. Um, you know, re everything was up, right? Like, like the MLB had a good year in, in every category that matters when it comes to the game moving forward. Right now is a great opportunity for baseball. And, and I forgot who I was talking about this with. I think it might have been with Jordan. Um, but MLB's in a place where it can absolutely kind of take back its, its in my opinion, its rightful place in, in the sports order, right? Where it can be the, the most popular sports in America again. And 
it has everything to do with gambling, right? Um, one of the things that we have seen across the United States, um, especially uh, New Orleans, which we're talking about a little bit uh, a little bit ago, is sport betting apps, right? These things are becoming more popular. Um, New York just legalized it. Um, it's been legal in Jersey. It's obviously legal in Vegas. Um, the MLB has an opportunity because it is such a slow-paced sport to absolutely take advantage of that. Imagine how many people would go to games if you have an exclusive in-stadium betting prop, right, right? You know, kind of like a betting, like a Caesars at the ballpark, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, can you imagine how many people would flock to the ball game at that point? Not only are you having your, your, your diehard fans, you're going to have your casual fans going there trying to make a quick buck, right? We've seen, it, more than anything, we've seen people pick up on, on, on you know, kind of betting lines and, and getting a lot more smart about how to do those things. Baseball is the best sport to do that with because you do have such time in between pitches. You do have things like innings, right? Where you can say, hey, how many people are going to come up this inning? You know, th things like that you can bet on just a lot easier than football where you do have a time kind of thing, right? When you have to bet something, you know, it's hard to bet something before a drive. So, you know, baseball is a great opportunity to do, do something with that. But, Rob, I'll kick it over to you. You know, how do you see this lockout affecting 2022 and just the future of baseball itself because, you, you know, it does have repercussions as far as the minor leaguers too, right? This isn't just an, an MLB problem because minor leaguers become major leaguers eventually. Yeah, no, I think uh, I mentioned the other day, I've kind of already convinced myself that we're going to have some type of shortened season, um, whether that involves, you know, spring training starting late or anything like that because I think under a normal timeline, spring training would have probably started in, in about two or three weeks or something like that. Um, but yeah, I'm already expecting less than 162. I think, I think it's pretty crappy that, that, you know, I mean, this was anticipated for a little bit as this past season was going on, that we were moving towards this CBA agreement. Um, but it's, it always gets to a point where it's just overall childish because it's always just so like one-sided, like it's, it's always the side of it, it. Once you, once you like start to see the details and the details come out, like it's always the side of the MLB, like the owners that's wrong. Like it, it, it always is. It's it's never really on the players because it's kind of like funny how um, I, I saw I, I can't remember the exact tweet, but I had seen a tweet that was talking about how like there's almost like in the collective in the collective bargaining agreement, there's always no bargaining like done from like the MLB side. And that's like that's that's what the main issue is here. It's you can't really get a negotiation done when there's no <laughs> negotiating being done on your side. Like if, if you if you come to the table with one offer. And I come and hit you with a counter offer, and then you never change your offer, but I lower mine, and I keep trying to lower mine to for us to meet at a midpoint, but you still stand at your same offer, which is essentially what the owners are doing with the with the players. They're, then we're not getting anywhere. Like I don't I don't understand. Like that's why I think the players were absolutely in the right when um, if you guys saw the the owners had requested mediation or ha having a mediator, the players rejected it. Good. Good because you told the players that you were coming with a counter offer, and instead of doing that, you jumped right over it and tried to get a mediator in here to, you know, try to get things like on your side. Like no, like so. I'm glad that the that the players went on and and kind of uh, rejected that. But you know, I th I think it, it's going to be interesting to see what what they end up agreeing upon. There's there's way too many issues on the table here. You're talking about, you know, revenue sharing. You're talking about uh, what what type of money is going to be on the table. 
for arbitration. You're talking about what money's going to be on the table for international, you know, uh, uh, international prospects. Uh, you're talking about are we getting the universal DH approved? Like, there's a lot of things that you kind of have to you kind of have to agree upon. Even yo, even things that we weren't really expecting, right? Like, I imagine that in the new CBA, there's got to be something in there for. What happens when we have a shortened season? You know, how is the revenue, a pandemic? What happens if there's another pandemic type event, right? Like, how is the revenue going to be split? Because you saw that that became problematic when we had the 60-game season on how player salaries were going to be adjusted because there was never anything in place for that type of situation. Now I imagine that we've been through this, so you should be aware that this is a possibility that this that there could be a given year where the owners lose an unprecedented amount of money and you have to figure out how to still pay your players responsibly. Um, because, and, and, you know, like, like they did, like prorated to their contracts because there are, there are tiers here, right? Like if you're a superstar, even, even in a shortened season, you still deserve to get paid as a superstar. If you're one of the guys that's bringing in the most eyes, the most money onto the league, then you deserve to get top chunk of that, of whatever money the pool is. So, that all that has to be negotiated. Um, I I still think we're we're weeks out. I've, I've been trying to keep up with the reporters. There's no significant movement forward. Um, again, because the MLB just the, the MLB owner side just refuses to kind of move towards a midpoint with the players. Um, so yeah, as of right now, there's no major update. We're still on a lockout, and I don't really know when it's going to end. But I'm hopeful that we have some type of 130, 140 game season, at least something significant. I would hate it if it got extended to the point where we had another 60-game season because, again, it, it, those 60-game seasons, and we saw it from the bounce back of this last regular season, the 60-game season is just wild. It, 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 it provides a lot of just ridiculous like perspective and takes on players. And then when you get to a real season, it everything kind of starts to straighten itself out. Um, and we saw that this past year. I think if we got a really shortened season, we would see that again, where you see a lot of players kind of get hyped up and then a, a real extended season, bring them back down to earth. Um, but yeah, it, it's going to be tough. I do think that they reach an agreement. I don't think it goes on. Um, I don't think it reaches the point of another 60-game season. Um, but I, do, I don't think that we're getting spring training on time. I don't think that we're going to have a, a 162 as expected. Um, and I'd be really surprised if they, if they did end up reaching an agreement you know, at, at the very last minute. But we'll have to see what happens with that. So for me, I probably have the wildest take on this, and it's I don't think we have a 2022 season. I agree with you. And and for me, it's strictly on the legal point. Um, so mediation, mediation is best served when the when there's a few items that aren't really clear that, but you're coming to an end, right? You kind of know what the number is, and now it's just about you know finer tuning it, right? That's what mediation is for. Mediation for is you know figuring out the things that you just can't get over right? Um, the worst thing to ever happen in the mediation, right, which is just a waste of everyone's time and everybody's money, is when the two parties are so far apart that it's pretty much just a waste, right? And right now where the MLB is and where the MLB Players Union is, they aren't, they aren't even at the table. So, you know, there's two things. MLB mentioning that, oh, well, we offered mediation. That's, that, that's, t that's basically just a media play. That's saying, hey, look, we're, we're willing to, to, to come to this table and have someone else, you know, see it, you know, right. that's, we're not that's the bullshit. bad guys here. We're not the yeah, bad exactly. guys here. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what they're doing. They're like hands off, like, Oh, we're trying to do the right thing. When in reality, that's not true, right? You don't get to mediation without first throwing some off at each other's way. 
right? Because that's how you know how far away you're apart. And if you're that far away, mediation isn't going to do shit. So dirty tricks by MLB, right? But they're playing the media game. You know, the second thing is for for the players and for the players' union, this is this is rough, right? Because th- the players are the ones that are, get, that are getting hurt, right? And And the biggest thing is they want the younger players to get paid for the way the reason the way they're playing them now, right? Last couple of years, we've had guys who are ages twenty one through twenty five take over this league, and those are the most underpaid players in the MLB historically, right? Um, yes, you have guys like Tatis Junior that signed his mega deal, you know, you have guys who have signed those long term contracts, but that's not everybody, and technically they don't have to, right? Um, we saw with Chris Bryant not too long ago where the Cubs literally said, hey, you know what? We're just going to hold you back, even though you're one of the best players yeah. on the planet. That's, that service time manipulation is is, yeah. is another key factor in that in that CBA. Like, because you already know the players are heated about that. Cause Absolutely. It's a loophole and, and, that the owners are using. And you got to think about it this way, right? Chris Bryant, during that time when he was a rookie, he was bringing in more revenue than maybe anybody but Javi Baez on that team, right? Where for his, you know, half a million dollars that he was making, the Cubs are making probably 30 times that, right? If And that's 30 times that is like a low number. It's probably a lot more than that. Right, yeah. You know what I mean? So why shouldn't Chris Bryant get rewarded for that, right? He's bringing in that money. He's he's, he's the reason why people are going to the stadium. Right. Especially the Cubs win the World Series that year. Like, come on. Like, they don't do that without Chris Bryant. You know what I mean? Right. So the players have a point here. And one of the, the things that's going to hurt the fans is MLB has one of the best player unions out there. Where they stick to their guns, like look at look at the MLB payment structure, all that money is guaranteed, right? It's not like the NFL, where if you hurt yourself, like ah shit, NBA is actually pretty good. And I I think NBA contracts are, are pretty are pretty fun because they are so good, but they have caps, right. which is which baseball right. doesn't have caps, right? So you know it's one of those things where the MLB players union has always been really strong, and they're really strong because they take positions and and they make things happen. So while it's gonna be good for the players, it's not gonna be great for the fans. You know what I mean, we we we're in we're in for a we're in for a long struggle here. Is my um overall opinion? Yeah, dude, and you know you know what the what the potential struggle with that is too is just combining two points. Is like it's like what you said. If we go with the take of there's no season in 2022, right? It goes back to like what I was saying is like how do you adjust player salaries for these these impacted seasons? Because I think of a player like um, which we'll get into here a little bit too when we talk about signings, right? But like a Max Scherzer, right? who signed with the Mets on a three-year deal, does this count as one of the three years? You feel me? Like, and, and, and do yeah. the Mets owe him $40 million and the dude has it <laughs> pitched? Like, it's it's that type of situation. I mean, I'm sure there, it won't be that, but like, you know, it's that type of situation where you do have to figure that out because yeah. not for nothing, but like a team like the Mets is probably, you know, they threw all their money in on, we have three years of Max yeah. Scherzer, right? Yeah. If you cancel the season, even if you take the money aspect out of it, Max Scherzer's a year older. You feel me? Like, if you cancel the season, time doesn't stop. All these players still get a year older. Like, they lose out on a year. There's, there's yeah, a human element They, they, they yeah. add another year of, you know, you lose another year of potentially adding stats to your resume, especially if you're trying to build a Hall of Fame case, you know, yeah. things like that. Like, you lose out on time. So, it, it's going to be a very important thing to take care of. Man, it's and, and again, I think the biggest thing is just the momentum that that the MLB brought in last year. Man, you had, you know, just just all the great stories we had last year, right? The Vladdy Junior, uh, Shohei, right? The the NL West race, right? How amazing was that? You know what I mean? Yeah. So you know, it's 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 one of those things where 
it's it's gonna be a rough one, man. And and, and I think um all all those fans, we gotta be in it for. I, I'm not gonna say we gotta be understanding because at the end of the day, it is, it is millionaires fighting with billionaires. Which, which right. I'll say, I'll say this one last thing on, on, on the lockout, and then we gotta get to to some other stuff. But if you own an MLB team, even if you're the fucking um, Rays, you're profitable in the millions, right? That's like, the like crazy it, part. Is the reason this is so funny is if you go back three years ago, before the pandemic, before the shortened season and all that stuff, the players getting their prorated salaries, they lost money. They don't get me wrong, their their salaries went up, but they lost more money than the owners did when you look yeah. at profit the right. owners are having everybody look at revenue yeah you didn't get as much revenue you didn't have as many games but you still profited they have gone up in profit every single yep. year every single year since 2010 profit wise yeah. who who cares about revenue yeah it's a cool <laughs> thing to put on your fucking banner but you don't actually put revenue in your bank account yep. the profit in that bitch so the owners, that's that's the thing, is the owners are doing a great job on the media front redirecting everybody's perception. They're magicians. That's really what they are. It's all deception and smoke and mirrors because the players are what's getting hurt. And I think the reason we're not going to have a season this year is you finally have big-name guys really ready to die on a hill for the young players. You've got Max Scherzer saying, fuck all the way off. This is what we're doing for the young players. And it's great. It's really awesome because – once that does happen, it's going to get much better for everybody. But I think the players are trying to change too many things. They're talking about arbitration, you know, manipulation. They're talking about minimum salary for them, for the lower guys. They're also still not wanting a salary cap because if they get a salary cap to come along with a salary minimum, that's where the owners are really going to play hardball with all the big name contracts. But then you're also talking about adding the universal DH to get that extra spot to 13 other, or the 15 other teams in the NL. That's another player for the player reps and the MLBPA. That's a big deal. That's an expanded roster. I think the players are going after too many changes right now. They really need to pick their two or three. And don't get me wrong, they deserve all the changes. They're not being greedy. But if they want to get their money and they want to move this along, they need to pick their two or three biggest things and not try to change so much, or else it's going to be, there's not going to be a 2022 season. And even though Shurs are going to get paid, He's not going to get those stats, and the Mets aren't going to benefit from that at all, and he's still going to get his money. Absolutely, man. I, it's, it's a rough situation, man. Rough, rough spot to be in. But like, if you ever if you ever want a surefire way to make money, first, have about $10 billion in the bank, then buy a, then buy a sports franchise, preferably you know NBA, NFL, MLB. Broncos are sale. Let's go get that shit. Yeah. Right, <laughs> bro, the easiest way to make money, the easiest way to make money is already having a shit ton of money. Yes, that's why why I get so mad about betting, right? Like if I had, if I just, if I was a millionaire, yo, I'd be placing hundred thousand dollar bet slips on a daily, yo. I would no care in the world. Who's that? Yeah, mattress mattress. Yeah, dude, no, no care in the world, man. No care in the world. This dude, this dude puts five point seven million dollars on a weekend basis on shit, and he loses a lot. Yeah, man, loses a lot. Yeah, no, but but he he makes up for it with all the, you know, the 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 mattress business and all that stuff. Yeah, like. (laughs) It's dumb, man. Yo, I don't buy it. I don't know any mattress business that can make like, – I get it. People <laughs> sleep, but, like, you usually keep your bed for a few years. I don't know. All right. Yo, let's get over to the free agency side of it, man. And and this free agency period is going to be breaking up, broken up into two parts. It's going to be pre-CBA negotiations and post-CBA negotiations. And, you know, let's start off with the guys that did get signed because that list is pretty impressive, right? Biggest teams that really went out, went out there and made an impact. First one is the Rangers. 
their biggest signings, Corey Seager, Marcus Simeon, right? We'll see how they put them out in the infield. Marcus Simeon probably going to stay at second base. I, th- I think he he really solidified himself there last year. Um, next big team, the Detroit the, – the, I was about to say Detroit Lions. Detroit Tigers. <laughs> still, still football season out here. Uh, the, the Detroit Tigers. Javi Baez. I think he – for me, he's a surprise signing in, in, in this um, – you know, in this period, I wasn't I didn't the most get, surprising. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so Tigers went after him and went after Eduardo Rodriguez, uh, former Red Sox great. Um, Max Scherz, as we mentioned, went over to the Mets along with Starling Marte, who's there for four years. Uh, Kevin Gaussman went to Toronto. You have Marcus Stroman going from the Mets to Chicago. Uh, Chris Taylor back with the Dodgers. That's, not, that's, not, that's kind of a resign. John Gray is going to Texas as well. Um, notable re-sign, Justin Verlander went back to um, Houston. And then, you know, you have Mark Hanna going to Mets. So Mets did spend some money. But let's get let's get to our favorite signings because, you know, we could talk about these guys all day. We could have a whole episode just on everyone who got signed. So, Nick, I'll kick it over to you, man. Out of, out of all the signings, it doesn't have to be anybody I mentioned. It could be somebody else. What's been your favorite signing so far? Uh, my favorite signing so far... <sighs> As a single player, it's going to be Robbie Ray. I don't think he's worth what he got. Five years, 115 from the Mariners. But it, the Mariners are showing that, that we're doing this. We are. We believe in ourselves. And we just went and got the AL Cy Young, who two out of the last three years has been a dominant dude on the hill. Yes, he has his big, big time ups and downs. But if you think about um, Giolito, who's been up and down for so long and literally had MLB's worst ERA for a full season, and then goes and throws a no-hitter and wins. Like, if this is who Robbie Ray becomes, and we've seen it recently, man, the Mariners, good job, my guys, because that is an intense sign. You have a number one ace, which is what you needed, and you've got so many young guys coming up. If I had my video on, you would see my Logan Gilbert jersey in the back. Like, this is a great signing, both for Robbie Ray and for the Mariners. Like, this is absolutely my favorite signing of this offseason so far. There's other really big names that are dope. And even with the guys that are left, I think this will still be my favorite signing. It's just such a perfect fit, and it shows the Mariners are going for it. And they've got so much ammo. They also traded for Adam Frazier, which quietly could be a big fucking deal. Because when you get a guy that's almost guaranteed to hit 300 to lead off that lineup and just get on base for the guys coming up and take some pressure off all the young guys, you don't have to be the leadoff guy. That's another big deal. But easily, Robbie Ray is my favorite, hands down. Very nice. And I'm just happy Robbie Ray is out of the East, right? I, I, didn't, I didn't really want to face him. Like, I don't think Robbie Ray is the, you know, greatest thing to slice better or whatever. But he, 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 last year he showed how elite he can be. Not really trying to deal with that for. You're for sure loving Kevin Gaussman coming back to the Blue Jays or coming back to the AL East. Yeah, because I, I, th- I think he's going to get blown up. Uh, but we'll get to that a little bit later. Yo, <laughs> yo, Rob, how about you, man? What's been your favorite free agent signing this, uh, this offseason so far? Yeah, so I, I would say probably that my, my favorite. Um, I had two, um, but I'm going to focus on one. I'm going to say that I like the Javi Baez signing by the Tigers a little more than the Mets signing of Starling Marte, um, simply because I think, look, the Tigers, the Tigers from the very start of free agency were connected to Carlos Correa. I think, I, and I think the connection is very, uh, the connection was very easy to make. I do think it was a correct one because you do have his former manager in AJ Hinch, who's now the manager of the Detroit Tigers. So the connection was there. And you have the Tigers as a team who was willing to spend money this offseason, right? I think that once you start to compare Javi Baez's contract to the other contracts out there, 
you start to see that six years for 140 for Javi Baez is an extreme bargain when you compare it to the rest of the shortstop market. Like, you can have any opinion of Javi Baez that you want, right? At the end of the day, with the glove, he's better than every other available shortstop that was out there. So, so that's, that's already a plus. Um, the Tigers got him for less than half of what the, the Rangers paid for a Corey Seager at 10 years, $325 million. Um, I get it. Like, you know, Seager's a little younger. The, 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 the superstar potential might be there a little stronger for, for Seager. But I think, look, when you compare both of the teams, compare the Tigers and the Rangers, right? Two teams that, um, I would say the Tigers are a little more, uh, the, the Tigers have a little bit more life because they're in, they're in the AL Central, um, which I find to be a little less competitive division than the AL West, especially how it's currently constructed. I think, I think, you know, every year now going into the AL West, you're look, you're looking at, at the Angels, you're still looking at Houston, you're looking at Oakland, you're looking at Seattle with some life, you're, you're looking at the Rangers with some life now, right? Um, with, with their additions. Um, whereas Detroit has already kind of taken that step. And I think they're a little closer to, to maybe being able to compete in their division, but they still, they're still missing some years. And so I think for a team like Detroit to kind of take a step back and not make that huge investment, because we all know that Carlos Correa is probably in line to get 340, $350 million after the Seager contract. Um, is Carlos, and here's my question to people. And I'm, and I'm going to answer the question ahead of time. The answer is no. Right. The answer is no. But I'm going to I'm going to throw this question out there and people can have their opinion. That's fine. But I do not think that Javi Baez or let me let me put it this way. I don't think that Carlos Correa or Corey Seager are worth two hundred million dollars more than Javi Baez. Like you can tell me that they're worth more, but they're definitely not worth two hundred dollars more, because for any argument that you want to make against Javi Baez as, oh, he has a tendency to have high strikeouts or anything like that, that's, yes, that's that's what you have to risk, right? Like, you have the risk of, of having, like, a really high, like, mid-season from Javi Baez. But on the other end of it, you also have the potential of Javi Baez turning in an MVP-level season, which we've already seen when he was the runner-up for MVP a few years back with the Chicago Cubs. He, he still has that potential. He still has, he at $140 million for a guy who still solidly like a 30 home run 100 rbi guy even with the high strikeouts and and you still have you have to throw into account his defense like i'm sorry that 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 comes off as a huge bargain to me like when you compare what what correa and seager are in line to get what you compare what a what a francisco lindor got what you compare what uh what a fernando tatis got right you're basically saying that all those guys are worth 200 million dollars more than a guy who's almost been mvp in this league already and to me, 140 for a guy who's almost been MVP is a, is a pretty solid get for Detroit. Yeah, real quick on this. I, I That's a great pick. I think it is one of the best ones for sure. I like it for two big reasons. One of them, Javi Baez now gets to go to an obscure team and bring them some shine or just play ball without the media focus he's had literally his whole career. He's a flashy dude, so he puts himself in the media. And when you do that in Chicago, you're asking for all of the feedback. And then we all saw what happened last year when he was talking shit to the fans in New York. Got fucking blasted. Why? Because he just told you how he feels? Get out of here. Don't do that. He's not going to get that in Detroit. So he's going to just be smooth and chill, stress-free in Detroit. 
And if he happens to turn them around, man, that that's exactly worth all the money. And to your point, if you did the blind player resume, A, B, and C, and you throw up Javi Baez versus Corey Seager versus whoever else is going to sign Carlos Correa, you're absolutely right. They're not worth $200 million more. Not even close. And when you sign these big contracts, you're signing for the ceiling. You're not signing for the floor. Not a single fucking person gives a shit if Javi Baez hits 200 one year with 10 home runs and five steals. What they're looking for is for the year that he makes some good contact and hits 290, but busts out 30 home runs and 30 steals and plays that platinum glove defense in the middle and is a leader on a young team to get them all hyped up and believing in themselves. Because I think if Javi Baez does anything better than anybody else, it gets his teammates to believe in themselves and to go be better than they were the day before. But his peak is worth every single cent that Correa, peak for peak, he is a better shortstop all around than any other shortstop in the game right now on a lot of levels. Or sorry, of the free agents that are out this year. I don't I wouldn't put him above a Lindor still. I probably wouldn't put him above a Tatis. But if you gave me the choice dollar for dollar between Correa and Baez, I'm taking Baez all the time. This is such a good sign. Good call. Yeah. Yeah, no. And yeah. and it's just, just just one more quick point. It's it's just for comparison's sake, right? Like don't get me wrong, I think I think what you the point that you just made is 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 correct as well. I think up to this point Javi Baez, you, you can't tell me that Javi Baez has not put up, like, better stats. Like, if you look at, at the season that he was almost MVP, compared to a senior, compared to, to the high point of a senior, compared to the high point of a Carlos Correa. Now, I will say this ahead of time. I think that Carlos Correa is at the point in his career where, it, where it's just, it, it's about to get nasty. Like, I, I, think, I think Carlos Correa is at the point in his career where he's really, if he stays on the field, we're about to see, uh, uh, we could see like an Alex Rodriguez level explosion for a Carlos Correa, but I'm judging it from what we've seen so far. I'm not judging it from the potential sense and from the potential, from, from what we've seen so far. Yeah. Like, uh, it, like the, the, the Tigers, think about it. The Tigers saved themselves money, right? Like the, everybody, everybody's expecting Carlos Correa to get over $300 million. The Tigers short, like took care of their shortstop position for 140. Now you have some money left over. Go out and get another player. Like it could, it could get you even a step closer to contention. And what Nick said is is definitely correct as well. I, you yo, don't get me wrong. You still have Miguel Cabrera on that squad, and we all respect Miguel Cabrera for the for the for the player that he is. But right now, for that squad, you add a piece that was missing, which which is a legit star player who is still in his prime, right, and who is viewed. Who is who is viewed as a leader in, in, in you know in in his former club in both of his former clubhouses right he was in the eye of the media in both Chicago and New York but in both instances whether it was him and, and Bryant and Rizzo in Chicago or him and Lindor in in New York like he was seen as one of the, one of those main guys one of those leaders in the locker room so I think that is also been like Nick said also beneficial for for a squad in Detroit whose average age has to be what I don't know about the top, off the top of my head but I'm, I imagine their average age of the active roster has to be under 27 or something like that. It's a lot of young players there in Detroit. Um, and now having Javi Baez there as a leader, hey, and as a leader for for a $140 million price tag, when again, if, yo, I'm going to say this flat out. If if Carlos Correa is about to get $350 million and Corey Seager got 325, I mean, is Javi Baez a $250 million player? Like, because it, it's not that far off. Like, it's really not that far off. The fact, Again, when you actually start to break down the numbers, like the fact that he got 140 and these other shortstops are getting what they're getting is 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 actually a ridiculous deal for Detroit. 
It, it like it definitely is right, and I think the 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 important part here is the comparison of it, right? We're we're gonna talk about the shortstops in general. Look, Corey Seager's Corey Seager. He's gonna be twenty eight when the season starts. He's okay. Like he's I I don't know. I've never thought of Corey Seager as a top guy, right? Like is he a top five shortstop at times? Okay, sure, I, I could give him that. But does that mean he's one of the game's best players? Not necessarily. I think we've seen the shortstop position be pretty close as to what they are together, right? Like, like I, I don't think, you know, whoever you think the best shortstop is, whether it be Tatis Jr., whether it be Lindor, whether it be even Seager, if that's your your, your argument, or, or Correa, those guys aren't that far apart, right? Like, I don't think that any one of them has anything dr- drastically better than the others. Other than, for T- than, than Tatis Jr., but he's injured so much, and he's probably going to go in the outfield like he did at the end of last year. So, you know, are we going to bracket him with the shortstops? I don't know. But my point is, kind of to, to what you're saying is, they're not that far apart. Javi Baez, he has a lot of holes right now in, in, in his offense, right? Where he leaves a lot to be desired when it comes to the nerd stuff, right? Like, he's not going to walk a lot. He's not going to take a lot of pitches. He's going to go up there. He's going to swing, right? And, and I think to, to expect anything else of Javi Baez is dumb. You know what I mean? Like, you're not going to change a player who's played the same way for the last eight years. You're just not. You know what I mean? So I get why he got less money, and it's based off shit that doesn't matter, in my opinion. Right? Like, like I would never, I would never, like, I would never pay Corey Seager, um, you know, $32 million a year. I, I just don't get it, you know? He is kind of older, right? Like, at the end of his contract, he'll be 38, right? So it's one of those things where, not to hate on Corey Seager, but I just don't see it, right? And then, you know, you go to, you go to Carlos Correa, like, and this this is going to be hard for me to say. Well, not that hard, right? Because I, I really, he's kind of soured on me the last few years. When he first got drafted, Alex Rodriguez was definitely my comp to him. As far as, as far as talent, like, like physical, things they could do physically, right? The mental game is a whole different thing. But physically, he could do a lot of the same things that A-Rod could do when A-Rod got drafted at his age, right? They had the same kind of size. He was a big guy, had the arm strength. You know what I mean, his swing, it wasn't as polished as A-Rod's was, but you can see there was something there. But if there's anything that's been clear to me in Carlos Correa's career is he's not A-Rod. He's not anywhere near that stratosphere. A- you know, Carlos Correa will never be thought of as one of the best players to ever play this game, right? Unless he does something stupid in the next, like, few years, Carlos Correa is not that guy. And he thinks he is. And he thinks he is. That's a problem. Yeah, thank you, Nick. Yeah, like, but but he's not that person. So... When when we're sitting here and, and uh, you know, we threw out that 350 number out there. For me, that's insane. I'm not paying Carlos Correa any of that. Honestly, I don't even think he's a shortstop by trade. I think his best position is third base, kind of like A-Rod eventually went there. But A-Rod can still play gold glove um, shortstop. Like, I don't think Correa is that good. Where, where, where I'm not comparing him to other people. I'm think comparing Correa to where he thinks he's at, kind of like Nick alluded to. Yeah. Like, there's guys better than Correa, like definitely better than Correa, both at the shortstop position, both at the third base position. So to get this astronomical number to think that Carlos Correa is some kind of game changer, I don't see it that way. You know what I mean? Like I think even in, in Houston, right? Houston's been a very successful team this past decade. And well, that's kind of crazy to say this past decade, but they've been very successful. But when you think of playoff moments, you don't think Carlos Correa, right? We've seen Jose Altuve come up a lot. We've seen guys have their moments, but Correa, for me, it, he's kind of been like the mouth of it, right? Like he's always been on the screen, but when you look back on it, it's kind of like, all right, like, like he, he had an okay series. You know what I mean? So 
He's um, the first yeah. guy into the winning camera shot, but he's not the guy the camera shot is put on. Yeah, yeah, I, I can see that. So let me, yo, yo let me, let me, let me fight back. Let me fight back I for fight back, fight back. Do it. Just, a, just a little on. bit. No, because no, because <laughs> look, I agree. I agree with the point that I don't. I don't see Correa as one of the top players in the league, right? Like, and I don't think that up up to this point in his career that he showed that, right? But I think I think you have to look at it this way, right? Take taking the three fifty number out of it because that's we all know that the three fifty is just there because that's what the market is dictating. <laughs> I think I think I think the fact that the that the Tigers went ahead and signed Baez was a was a sign that they they thought Crow was asking for too much. That's all right. I'm gonna say. Keep right. Going. But once but but again, Texas messed that up because once you give Seager three twenty five. Yo, we've seen it for the last three seasons. Correa, especially when we talk to Dodgers fans, Correa is right there with Seager because they both debuted in the same year. And they both were hyped up shortstop prospects. So they've been compared their entire career and they're similar. So once you give Seager 325, then you already know Correa's number is going to be close to that just based off the market, right? I'll say two things about Correa. One, I don't think, I don't think that he's the guy that's in most of the clutch moments for the Houston Astros, but I do think he's had his clutch moments. And I think that's actually one of the things that you can argue that helps his value is, is his play in the postseason, right? If you look at his postseason stats, he's had some series where he has an OPS over 1,000, right? He's, he's had some series where you go look back at Houston where, again, when you look at, at, at the complete run of Houston, like their complete stretch that year in a postseason, he might have not been the top guy, right? It might have been an Altuve. But the games that Altuve was off, the games that a Bregman was off, because Again, Altuve and Bregman are two guys that I would put over Correa overall in, in MLB standing um, as players up to this point. Um, but but Correa has had his moments for, for Houston. And when you said, for example, you said he's not a, he's not um, a Alex Rodriguez. I agree. But he's also not an Alex Rodriguez in the playoff sense because he's been a lot more consistent. He has been a consistent 270, 280 guy for Houston. For most of, for most of the of the time that he's been in the postseason, where if you were we remember real clearly when A Rod got to New York, A Rod didn't do absolute yeah, he, he, in was, the postseason. Bro, A Rod <laughs> spent five seasons in the postseason before he did anything, and he and the, and the year he did anything was our title year. But but outside of that, A Rod almost did nothing. So so there is some value that you do have you do have to pay a little premium, right? If for a guy who's shown. Um, that he's been part of a title team already and that he's been part of, of teams that are generally successful in the postseason. Now, we can add to that the whole Houston scandal and stuff, which <laughs> obviously gets added to that. But the other aspect of it, too, is um, paying a guy for potential, right? If you ask me compare comparison, right, who do you think is going to be – who do you think has the highest potential to be a superstar shortstop in the next five, six seasons, right? If you if you're just comparing Correa, Seager, Baez, story, most people would tell you Correa, right? Like, <laughs> that, that, like, so, 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 so let me because I was going to yeah. ask you about that too. And, and Nick, hop in here too if you want, man. Like Correa, I think we still we, we, we still add on the the potential card to it, right? To oh, absolutely, because he hasn't done much. He hasn't done much, right? Absolutely. Like he's still early. You think? No, he has. He so he has. So that's the only defense I will give him is he has actually gotten better pretty much every single year, and he's gotten better in all the stages. He's gotten re- better in the regular season and the postseason. For him to end this last year as a platinum glove, that's not just the best shortstop. That's the best defender in the AL. Talk mm-hmm. about a year to do that, and he had one of his best offenses seasons. And his mouth—he's done everything perfect to get this big contract. Is he worth it? No, because the potential 
he still is like it's almost like he's still a fucking prospect the way people exactly. talk about him. So here's yeah. the problem though. Here's the problem with that because because that's what I want to get to too. He's 28 years old. He he'll be 20. Old. He'll be 28 when the season starts. So all this talk about you know can he do it? You know he's been getting better. Fucking awesome, right? When we think about guys who have those big contracts though, they're already doing it, right? We think about Mookie Betts. Oh, Mookie Betts proved his worth over and over again when yeah. he, before he got his big contract, right? You know, um, give me some other big, big guys. That, no, yeah, no. Look, yeah, you have a, you have a direct comparison. You have a direct comparison right in his market, right? I would argue that Francisco Lindor was more yes. earned earned yeah. his contract more yeah. than a Seager or a Correa did for the for over people over can again. say people can say whatever they want about Lindor because Lindor's one season in New York has messed up their perception on Lindor, right? Like, <laughs> no, and I'm not gonna that. argue. I'm not gonna argue that he had a down year for sure. He did. I wouldn't even rank him as a top five shortstop right now, but. Ooh, right. Don't get it. No, but like legit, I'm saying like I, just because I wouldn't rank him right now, don't get it twisted. At he's one of those players that's like that, right? Like yeah, you give him a you, you give him a month, one. you give him a month, he's a top five player in all the MLB. Like it's just like don't yeah. don't get it twisted. Francisco Lindor could come back this year and win NL MVP. Like it's it's that type. The shortstops are that good. But again, it's like yeah, you, you guys are absolutely right. But we have to look at the perception of the market. Like that's yeah. just all. That's just all it is. That's just all it is. That's the only reason he's getting this money is because Texas messed up and gave Corey Seager 325. If if look, if Texas, if Texas would have been real with their evaluation, if Texas would have if Texas would have given Seager 225, Correa doesn't sniff 300. You feel me? Like Correa <laughs> probably gets 250, 260. But again, Texas messed it up. So we have to, you know, we have to. We we have to deal with the fact that they messed it up and that and that's how they messed up the market. But yeah, there are other guys who have already shown that 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 they are that they are more valuable because look, if we want to add another comparison, right? What has Fernando Tatis done that has shown you like again, <laughs> Fernando Tatis is superstar level, okay. right? Like the difference the difference though, Tatis was so young when he signed that that it was on potential, right? No, I I, I know. I push back on that. I, and here's why. While Tatis, it was not even a full MLB season. What those numbers are, Carlos Correa can't sniff the numbers Tatis did in if right. you patch together no, no. his stuff. For sure, so for his sure. performance is there, but it wasn't. It was a for terrible, sure. terrible. For contract. sure, but for sure, but the, but the kickback to that that I'll add to is I'm not saying that Correa is going to be the type of player that Fernando Tatis is, right? But we're talking about guys getting 300 million dollar contracts based on potential. Tatis, Tatis, even though he's younger, his potential is is. I would argue his potential is even riskier than Correa's because oh, both time. dudes have missed time with health, right? Yeah, the yeah. fact that ter- the fact that Fernando Tatis Jr. has missed so much time, it, yo, guys, we're going on se- we're going on season four, right? Yeah, like yeah. we're going on season four. We talk about Fernando Tatis every year, like yo, MVP candidate, MVP candidate, yeah. MVP candidate. You're not going to win MVP if you're playing if you're averaging hundred games a season. The only the right? only difference I'll say with with Tatis and Correa when they're on their field is the impact that Tatis put oh, makes on the field. Absolutely, it is. It is no, 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 Compa- no. He came Correa. back last year. How they do when he came back last year? They fucking shit the bed. I do not agree with that. After last year, <laughs> when he came back, the Padres shot the bed. I agree. Okay, we've seen that sample, right? But it, but overall, Fernando Tatis does make the Padres better. Like in his time in San Diego, does he? like he if last t- year, if you take. But overall, though, overall, nope. if you take Fernando Tatis, you take him out, and San Diego's not worse in the last three or four, the time that he hasn't been there. I, I think we're also cherry-picking, too, though. We're, we're definitely cherry-picking with, with Tatis Jr., though, because as hot as San Diego was in the early part of the year, Tatis was there for that, too, right? So, so yes, yeah. did, did, they, yeah. did they have a fast decline at the end of the year? Absolutely. And Tatis was obviously there for that, for that end part, too. 
but they wouldn't even been close to that position if it wasn't for his. Um, yeah, no, they, like, were, they were worse when he came back than they were without him. Don't get me wrong. First part of the year, they were bonkers. But guess what? That's why we don't want a 60-game season because that shit fucking happened. But, but okay, and, and let me ask you because I don't have the stats in front of me. Were, were, were the team's offensive stats overall worse when, when Tatis Jr. was back? Because you're saying San Diego was worse. I don't know if that means that the hitting was worse because San Diego's pitching was trash. So yes, San Diego could have been a worse team, but the, but let's be honest, their their expectation that they had on the pitching side of things absolutely yeah, bomb. Yeah. So like, so is, were they worse as a team and losing more games because their pitching was trash? Because Fernando Tatis still put up an MVP, you know, top three MVP level season. So like, I understand that he's not making all the change for San Diego, but there's more factors that go into it. Like, if we take Fernando Tatis Jr. out of San Diego, like, yeah, that's the whole different. Thing. I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Like, I'm not. Again, I'm not saying. That then that's exactly why, like what Nick just pointed out about San Diego, San Diego's thing. That's exactly why I brought up Fernando Tatis Jr. Right? Because in in this conversation, we prove both points. Nick, Nick, you see how Nick was like, "Yo, like, no, no, no." He came back and didn't make sense. That's a, that that also goes to the original point of these contracts that are being handed out. Fernando Tatis Jr. got handed a three hundred million dollar contract, and look what he's been doing. Some sometimes you could argue that a superstar. Sometimes you could argue like a. He's not doing what he needs to be doing, right? It's this. It, it, it's based. It's some of it is based on potential, and the potential is risky. Like it's been shown both. It's been shown both sides. Like that. That's the thing. It's funny that when you actually look at it, when you compare the end now that we're talking of a Correa or a Seager to a Tatis Junior, Francisco Lindor low key might be the shortstop that most earned his contract when he got it. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. You feel me? like it's just like what are we? And then people are saying he's overpaid. Like okay, yeah. like no. you know. Like, uh, I'll say this though. I'll say it's like physical talents on the field. I think it's hard to match up anyone with Tatis Jr. Just on the eye test, right? Just on what we've seen. If if we're going with Correa off off, you know, again, just to remind people, he's gonna be 28 when he signs his contract, right? right? If he wants that 350, that means he's gonna be signed through age 40. You know what I mean? What have we seen in recent history? Those contracts tend to suck. You know what I mean? Like, by the time they hit age 40, right, think about Albert Pujols, who played a safe position at first base, right? right? It's hard to get hurt at first base compared to the other positions, at least. You know what I mean? And his legs just left him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so, I don't know. I, I, you know, he is going to get overpaid by somebody. You just hope that team isn't your team. You hope that in the first three years, four years of his contract, you win a World Series, right? But, you know, I don't know if that necessarily necessarily happens with with Correa. I just don't think that we shouldn't expect someone that's perennially in the MVP conversation because he hasn't been perennially in the MVP conversation now. At all, right? Like, Like, have we ever? I don't think Correa. I don't think Correa has ever had like a top five MVP finish. That's what I'm saying. But the health. I mean, the health holds him back too. It's 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 a similar Tatis conversation. Like, yeah, you might you might even though you might put up numbers in a small sample, you might be left out of the ward conversations because you just don't have the games to qualify like it, it yeah. really is that serious of a conversation it's true so let me get you guys just real quick on, on, on my favorite free agent signing and we don't gotta be on this one because it's gonna be really short my favorite free agent signing so far is Noah Syndergaard to the Angels so why do I love this we say every year how the Angels don't address their pitching right Noah Syndergaard he kind of underachieves every year because of his, his health right when he's on the when he's on when he's on the mound arguably top 10 pitcher but he's rarely ever on the mound. For the Angels, you shelled out $21 million for a year, which, as we know, in baseball, it's nothing, right? You, you pretty much got a pitcher for free if he can live up to his expectations. 
So the reason why I love this is, look, Angels are doing something to kind of say, look, we're, we're kind of taking this pitching thing a little bit more seriously. It's kind of a good, great thing for Noah Syndergaard because if he doesn't perform, his value goes way down, right? We have a guy who we know for a fact, if you put him in a playoff kind of atmosphere, he's probably going to do really well just based on his stuff alone. You know what I mean? So Angels went out and did that. It, it's, it's a short-term kind of prove it. Can, do you still have it kind of deal? So, you know. That, that, that's my favorite favorite guy um, my favorite signing so far this year just because it is so um low commitment um high upside for both the player and for the team um but because we were on korea i think it's a great time to also bring up some of the other free agents still out on there there there's some pretty big names out there calls korea obviously expected to be the biggest signing of those you also have freddie freeman chris bryant trevor story Clayton Kershaw, who most likely will not be a Dodger again. Um, Nick Castellanos, who has circumcised his nickname of J.D. Martinez Jr. and now has his own name. Um, and and Carlos Rodon, who had a great season this year for the White Sox. So guys, you know, out of the other free out of the free agents that are still available, you know, which one do you use is most the most intriguing, right? Um, and it could be someone that we didn't name. But Rob, I'll go ahead and I'll start for you, buddy. Yeah, no, I'm gonna go straight here and, and just quick. It, it's Nick, for me, it's Nick Castellanos, right? Like you had, you just mentioned, like for the longest time here, almost every episode on Diamond Talk, we we call him JD Martinez Jr. Ever since you started calling him that, and I, I think I think it's actually a perfect, um, not only a perfect comparison in terms of the type of player that he's been, but it might also be a perfect comparison in type of the of the type of contract that he's in line to get. Because if you look at Nick Castellanos' stats, um. They're almost very similar to J.D. Martinez, not in terms of like power numbers and things like that, because obviously J.D. Is, is a better power hitter. But if you look at when J.D. signed his contract, um, he signed his contract that he had with the, with the Red Sox. Um, I think it was also coming off of his age 29 season or, or his first season with the Red Sox, it was age 30. So his previous season was age 29, similar to Castellanos now waiting on this deal. He's coming off a four-year, $64 million contract, which he already outplayed this past season in Cincinnati. Like, so once you're coming off the, the, the best deal of your career, your agent is Scott Boris. Um, I think if you go back and you look at JD's five-year, $110 million deal that he signed with the Red Sox, that might be a similar type of deal that Castellanos gets, right? Going from, 60, from $16 million a year to $22 million a year. Maybe Boris ends, ends up getting him a little more, you know, $130 um, or, or $120, $130 in that range or something like that. But I, I think a five- to six-year deal for Castellanos is is – is a pretty good investment for for many teams. I think Castellanos has shown that 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 when I say he's a role player, I don't mean that he's like a bench guy or anything like that, but I think he's a guy who understands his role and plays it very well. Like like Nick Castellanos could be a doubles machine on pretty much any team, right? He's like a guy that you could put in there as your number 5 hitter, number 6 hitter and know that you're going to get good at bats from Nick Castellanos throughout the entire season. He's a guy who can play the outfield for you. He's a guy who, you know, in emergency situations, you can slide him over at third base. Like, so he brings a lot of value. And, and I think that they, that team's got to, got to notice that out there. I know earlier there, there had been mention of like potentially the Marlins. You know, the Marlins are a team who's looking to add pieces and things like that. But are they willing to make that commitment to a Nick Castellanos, right? Who, again, he deserves it at this point. He's a guy who's bounced around Detroit, Chicago, um, now with Cincinnati. I think he's at the point where he deserves some some career security. Um, and locking a, a, a five-year, six-year deal um, at, at a good value. So he's definitely one guy I'm looking at. Yeah, man, I think I think one of the big things that would be great for Nick Castellanos is if the NL adds that DH spot. 
just because, look, he's not a great fielder. He's played every right. position on the field, not because he's that good. It's just because they right. don't know where to put him at. Yeah. He's been at third. He's been at first. He's been in the outfield. He's a pos- positionless great hitter. Yeah, you don't have to question his bat. Yeah. That's the one thing, right? Yeah. You're, if you're paying yeah. for Nick Castellanos, you're paying for 290 average. You feel me? Like, you're paying for <laughs> consistency. Like, you know, like, it, it, but it's a good investment to me. It, it, it's not something that's going to, that should break your team's bank, right? Right, right. You know, I think I think his biggest thing is, like I said, if, if you have the, the DH and the NL, give them so much more options. Yo, Nick, what about you, buddy? What, what's what's somebody that you're looking for who hasn't been signed yet? Who, who do you, who's most intriguing to you? The most intri- the most intriguing to me is Trevor Story, hands down, easy, because <clears throat> I still think he might be one of the top two or three shortstops in all baseball. And we just had that long-ass conversation about Correa and Baez and Lindor and Tatis and all those players. Story might be the best one of them. Like, this dude is good. And to go through the last two seasons, he three seasons, he did in Colorado with all that bullshit, how are you going to get rid of Nolan fucking Arenado? As a teammate, and they seem like great teammates, and want to go play baseball for this team. No way. I love baseball. I want to play every single day. I might even have fucking been turned away by that shit. And then for them not to trade him and get nothing back, Story is a very, very smart player. And I heard him on an interview say, basically, I don't know, I don't remember exact words, but basically, he was mad that he didn't get traded, not because he didn't get out of Colorado. But because he's leaving Colorado and they get nothing. And he likes the team. He has loyalty to them. That is his first team. That's who he came up learning the game with. And that type of mentality and attitude, for me, is a big deal. If this guy goes to a spot where he wants, and since he gets to choose, he's going to get to go to a spot he wants, this guy might ball out and surprise all of us with how good he really is. Because he got no shine. When he was really good, Arenado was always there to be a little bit better. And take the spotlight. And then as soon as Arenado left, Colorado was just a dysfunctional-ass franchise. And that's all anybody talked about. They didn't talk about how good Story was. And I didn't hear enough of how mentally strong this guy is to come to the park every single day to play a game that he may not want to because the team isn't treating him right. The other player that I'm really interested in is Freddie Freeman because I see one of two spots. And please don't go to the fucking Dodgers. It's the most perfect fit of any free agent right now. You need lefties. You need a first baseman. You don't need a franchise guy because you've got plenty of them. But here's another one. Have at it. They've got the money to do it. He lives in Los Angeles. His kid is about to start actual school where he's going to be going to the same school for a while. Why not go to the team? That's where you live. You have year-round family where exactly where you want to be. And if he le- – like, honestly, the Braves right now should build him a fucking statue. He's a Braves statue guy. That's, that's who he is. Why would you not re- – there's no amount of money the Braves could lose. They will lose more money by not signing him than they would – by signing him, and it's not even close. And they have so many team-friendly contracts in Albies and Acuna and a couple others. This is this guy, Freddie Freeman, is why you sign those contracts. This is the guy. Go get him. If not, I, I can't see him anywhere but Atlanta or the Dodgers, which is why it's interesting to me, because if he goes anywhere else, I will be absolutely shocked. Yeah, um, yeah, Freddie Freeman, he's, you know, I know really recently it came out from, I think, New York Post something that, like, uh, there's interest from the Yankees to sign him. I don't think that's true. Um, in, in my heart of hearts, I believe Freddie Freeman is going to go back to Atlanta. You, you mentioned how cheap those contracts were. Some of their main stars are locked up there for the next half decade. Makes too much sense for him to, to stay in Atlanta. Um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think he's going anywhere. Um, Trevor Story. So this is going to be a hot take for Trevor Story. If I'm Trevor Story, 
I'm taking a pay cut and staying in Colorado because that's where my numbers will be best. And that is my best chance of having something post-baseball, right? Like we all, we all talk about how, how friendly course field is and, and how friendly that is for offenses and stuff like that. I, I do believe Trevor Story is a Colorado beneficiary, right? Um, you know, we saw it with Nolan Arenado this year. It kind of took him a, a t- some time to get his numbers up. But we were kind of silent about him throughout the year because it just wasn't what he was doing in Colorado. So if I'm Trevor Story and I really do love baseball and I and I'm have fun with it, I'm probably going to have more fun in Colorado than I am somewhere else. Um, you know, for me, my most intriguing guy is uh, Chris Bryant. To me, he's a little bit like Castellanos where, you know, he's better defensively, but he can play so many different positions that, you know, it, if you're a team that needs something like that, you get a superstar to do that for you, right? Imagine Kiki Hernandez on steroids, essentially, right? So if I'm, if I'm Chris Bryant, it, you know, I wonder what my market is. It's weird because I don't think anyone really considers him a top 10 baseball player anymore. I don't think they consider him a, a top tier guy for whatever reason, but he's still amongst the best, right? He's still a guy that you can see as perennial all-star. I just don't think teams see him as the elite guy that, that we see, you know, like a Mike, Mike Trout, Mookie Betts kind of guy that that was his original trajectory when he came in. He's, he's not done enough the last few years to really be on that, in that conversation. So for me, he, he's most interesting to see what teams value of him. You know I mean, so here's a hot take for Bryant. He his versatility is going to play him out of a guaranteed Hall of Fame bid. He was on that trajectory and him doing all this stuff and all these teams want and being so universal is going to hurt his overall legacy in this game. And he's going to go to a team that's just going to utilize the utility of him and not put him in one spot to let him shine. It's going to he's he's going to be one of those careers we look back on that should have been way better than it was because of how the game treated him. Probably, man. I, I, honestly, um, I think Joe Madden fucked him up when he was, when he was with Chicago. Um, you know, to some point, to some extent, we all know how much baseball like, um, baseball players like repetition and familiarity and just that comfort. Chris Bryant hasn't really had that in, in the last few years. But guys, we're, we're almost done here. But we cannot finish without mentioning our newest Hall of Famer, and that's Big Poppy David Ortiz. He's the only member of the 2022 Hall of Fame. Um, unfortunately, it's not all good news. We also have to talk about a little bit, um, you know, probably the greatest hitter of all time in Barry Bonds. No, and, probably about it. He is. <laughs> and arguably the best pitcher of all time in Roger Clemens. Both of those guys no longer eligible for, for the Hall of Fame, at least not through the, through the voting committee. So, you know, let, let, let's keep it on our tease just, just for, for this episode. We can get into to the Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens stuff in, in another episode because we can talk about that for an hour. But yo, David Ortiz, yo, Rob, I know, I know he was kind of a pain in our ass for um, his entire career with, with Boston, man. What do you got on David? No, nah, you know it's it's something that it's something that's definitely deserved. David Ortiz, I, I've said it multiple times. David David Ortiz, my problem is not whether David Ortiz is a Hall of Famer. I think um, I think we get caught up too much too often when we're talking about the MLB Hall of Fame, especially in comparison, right? Like to me, the Hall of Fame isn't a place to draw comparison. Like, if you want to get, like, into deep conversations, sure, comparing Hall of Famers and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, like, the conversation that we have about the MLB Hall of Fame, it's it's about entry into the Hall of Fame, right? So if it's about entry, the question should be, are you a Hall of Famer? Yes or no? Very simple answer. Like, look at the stats. Like, I, I know they throw all this stuff out about integrity and character and all this stuff. Stop. Stop. Okay? Like, <laughs> 
Like, if, like reporters have said it themselves, and we as fans know it. There are racists. There are there there are bigots. There, yo, there's people that are, that I'm not I'm not trying to, but you know, like you you it's too far back in the day to to know. Like you're probably talking about like you know like sexual assault people and all this stuff. Like yo, just terrible people who are who might already be in the hall. That and that's a whole nother conversation because again, you they they think that they're building some type of sacred place. Like it's 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 not, and it hasn't been that for the longest time. But I think that the that the fact that the Hall of Fame shoots itself in the foot so much makes the conversation about David Ortiz kind of sad when you kind of start to think about it because David Ortiz is not a first ballot Hall of Fame. Like he's just not. Like he is because they just voted him in. But if you compare like like what a what 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 a real first ballot Hall of Famer is like by by the standards, David Ortiz is not. And David Ortiz has never been on the same planet as a Barry Bonds. He's never been on the same planet as an Alex Rodriguez. Um, I mean, our, we're again, he's he's more compared to a Manny Ramirez. And and again, a lot of people will still tell you that Manny Ramirez was better. Like so, so it's it's kind of like that thing that that's strange, right? Like again, Ortiz is a is a deserved Hall of Famer, the fourth Dominican to ever make the Hall with Marichal, uh Pedro, and 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 Vladdy. He's he's deserved, but with with Ortiz, you you get two very difficult conversations because you get the PD conversation because you you have people if 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 we're gonna and I know I I know for sure Nick is gonna is gonna elaborate on it, so I'll I'll just say it quick. But if you're going to associate PDs with Barry Bonds and you're not going to associate PDs with David Ortiz, you are a hypocrite. Like that, like because that is the reality of it. Again, I'm not here to make assumptions on extended use or anything like that, but it is. David Ortiz's names was was on was on those records. Like like, are we blind? Like we're just gonna shove that up, like under the rug. Like again, like so keep some level of consistency. That's one side of the Ortiz conversation. The other side of the Ortiz conversation is why did Edgar Martinez have to wait until his last year of eligibility to go Bingo. into the Hall of Fame? Like that is that that to me that the fact that that's not being talked about more is one of the most disrespectful things. To Edgar Martinez, because when you talk about the position of DH, and 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 again, we are three people who talk baseball who have who have different opinions on a lot of things, right? Same way that people have a bunch of different opinions on the position of DH, right? But if you talk about the position of DH and you're asking me who is the best to ever do it, it's either David Ortiz or Edgar Martinez, and the gap between those players is not that big for one player to go in on his first year of eligibility and the other player to have to wait until 10. It's really not. Look at the stats. If you're going to tell me that you're giving Ortiz a bump because he's a three-time champion and he was a, a very integral part of those Red Sox championships, cool. I'll clap for you. That's great. I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not even saying that like David Ortiz doesn't deserve to go in ahead of Edgar. Fine. If you want to send Ortiz in one year and have Edgar wait a couple, that's fine. But the fact that Edgar had to wait nine compared to Ortiz, like, come on, bro. Like, what are we talking about? Edgar Martinez was just a flat out better pure hitter, contact hitter than David Ortiz was. If you want to give the power numbers to Ortiz, sure. But hey, Edgar's slugging numbers weren't, weren't anything to laugh at either. Like, Edgar. Again, when you are a DH, your job is to hit. And Edgar Martinez and David Ortiz did that better than any other people to play that position. So, like, at least for the majority of their career, right? And again, 
I'm sorry if it looks like I'm like I'm over here capping for Edgar Martinez, but that's just what it is, man. Like again, if you're gonna if you're gonna tell me like, oh man, like DH, you know, I don't think DHs should receive uh, the same type of consideration for the Hall of Fame or whatever. Okay, if you're gonna go in that stance again, Ortiz went in year one, Martinez went in year ten. Ortiz played the majority of his game more, played a, a bigger percentage of his career games at DH than Edgar Martinez did. So again, what conversation are we having? Like, it's, <laughs> think, it, it, any way that you want to have the conversation, I'm going to rip you apart because it's like, yo, at some point we have to start putting, it's not just the Barry Bonds conversation. The Barry Bonds conversation is a very serious one. But I said, but I've been saying it for months. If David Ortiz goes in in year one, y'all did Edgar dirty. Y'all did Edgar dirty. Y'all, y'all did Edgar severely dirty. And I'm still, and I'm going to claim that every single year. Y'all did Edgar dirty. I'm going to let Nick take over because I know he's going <laughs> to dive into the Barry Bonds before, conversation. But before, before we get to Nick, though, man, like, I, I want to say this to, to, to fans, too. Um, context matters. When, when Edgar Martinez played the game, hitting was looked at differently. What you wanted out of your hitters was different than what you wanted when David Ortiz was playing. When, when, when Edgar Martinez was playing, it really was about, hey, What's your average, right? How 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 much are you getting on base by hitting the ball? Eddie Martinez always had a high average, always, and that was that that was what was asked of him, right? So you know the power numbers weren't there, but you weren't asking Eddie Martinez to do that. Nobody was. Nobody in the MLB wanted somebody that hit like forty home runs but had like a two forty average. Not, not not that that's what David Ortiz did, but I'm just saying comparison, right? Where Edgar Martinez in today's game would be very devalued, right? Every year they'd look at for him, look for a reason to, to the value him because like, oh, that average won't stand, right? It's kind of very similar to, and, and I don't want to get this into too much because I can talk about this for days too. People say, you know, uh, Derek Jeter wasn't the best shortstop, whatever, because the power numbers weren't there. What he was asked to do was very different, right? Just like Edgar Martinez was asked to do very different things than David Ortiz. Um, you know, I, I'll say this. I think... I. I think the whole first ballot, second ballot thing isn't really a conversation for me. I, I, I hate it. I hate that we talk about it because at the end of the day, it's are you a Hall of Fame player or not? I think it should be that easy. It should be, uh, you know, it should have a list of players, say yes or no. If in that, if in that series, whatever, you had, you know, I would say this, put them on the ballot once, one time, and you can have as many people as you can, as, as you want, come in at the same time. But have them on one fucking time. nuts. It would be fucking nuts, but it should be simple. It should be, is it yes or is it no? It shouldn't be like, um, yes, but this guy's on the ballot this year, so probably not compared to him. That's stupid. Are you, were you one of the best fucking players to play this game, or weren't you? Do you deserve to be on the same plaque as these, you know, whatever amount of gentlemen than, than everybody else? It shouldn't be as like, um, you know, David Ortiz, he probably does deserve to be a, a first ballot Hall of Famer just because of class he's in. They don't really have anybody else, so let's put him in there as a first. Like, that's stupid. Is he a Hall of Famer or is he not a fucking Hall of Famer? It's, it's not a fucking, like, it's not that hard of a question. I think, you know, five years, you get, you get one ballot. It's a yes or no. If more, if more than 75% people say, yes, you're Hall of Famer, you're in the fucking Hall of Fame. If, if less than 75 say yes, too bad. Fuck, maybe they'll write you in in fucking 10 years. Like, I, I think it should be that fucking simple, right? Like, I think we try to make this shit way too fucking complicated. It's so fucking stupid. In my opinion, David Ortiz is no doubt a Hall of Famer. Edgar Martinez is no doubt a Hall of Famer. Right, like, I, like there, there shouldn't be a question about yes or no, right? Like, I, I remember, like, we had this this conversation with um, Terrence Jordan. He's like, oh yo, like Jeter shouldn't have 100 percent because Ken Griffey didn't get 100. percent What? 
They're both Hall of Famers. There's no one in the world that should be able to argue that they're not a Hall of Famer. Like it's it's, it's so fucking stupid. Uh, yeah, um, no that that conversation that conversation too <laughs> is just like it's 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 a dumb one. Like I'm not saying I'm not saying people can have their opinions on Jeter or anything, but just just to make a quick point on the Hall too. Again, there are more than a hundred players who deserve a hundred percent like acknowledgement because it should just be were they a Hall of Famer, right? The fact that Jeter, Griffey, Clemente. Mays, Hank Aaron, none of these players have 100% voting. Remember, the first player to get 100% was Mariano Rivera. It literally means that every other player that is in the Hall of Fame did not receive 100%. And we can we know that off the top of our head, there's 50, 60, 70, 80 players that we can name yeah. that for sure deserve 100%. Like, again, that's just, the voters are dumb. Like, some of the voters are just dumb. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I'm sorry. Anyone who, anyone who is voting and still has a personal vendetta with a player, you're off. You're yeah, off. Word. You're off. Like you're off because this is not about that. Like seriously, y'all making it about that, and it's making the Hall of Fame look really pathetic. It's stupid. It's 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 just stupid. I just I just don't I don't get it. Why are we making a game inside the game when it comes to Hall of Fame voting? Like, yeah. get over your fucking self. Yeah, we gotta let we gotta let Nick go. Yeah, crazy yeah, my bad, Nick. <laughs> Nick, like, my bad, buddy. <laughs> go Man, ahead, you guys brought up a lot of good points. I want I want to address the very first thing that I want to put out there is, man, I loved me some David Ortiz when he played. He was. Fun to watch. He wanted the attention. He is one of the guys that turned the game from what it was to what it is today. He he opened the door for your Javier Baez. He opened the door for your Tatis Jr. That's what MLB needed. He is not a fucking Hall of Famer. He's not. He's not a first ballot. He's not a second ballot. He's not a 10th ballot. He's not even a fucking committee Hall of Famer. Fuck that. Edgar Martinez could literally go three full fucking seasons without a hit and still have a better batting average. And to your point, Daniel, about first ballot versus second ballot, I get it. I really, really do. And I've never heard it before. I love the idea of you're on the ballot for one year and you're either in or out. You're a Hall of Famer or not. Who cares how many guys get in? It doesn't matter. You either yes or no. I just don't think David Ortiz is. If there was a postseason Hall of Fame, hell yeah. He might be the only 100% motherfucker in that bitch. But as of right now, nah, he's not a Hall of Famer. You, In my opinion, you can't do... You can't be as inconsistent as he was over that many years. You also can't have the steroid allegations. He does not have 500 home runs. He's not in that club without steroids. He's just not. He doesn't play that long. He doesn't have those big seasons. He's not. He is a product of steroids. Is he a good hitter? Bro, he got traded from the fucking Twins because he couldn't hit. No, he's not. A, I mean, yes, he's a good hitter. He's way better than I am. But on the Hall of Fame side of it with the different levels, Look, we're all in our little clubs where we know a little bit more. I'll be honest, as a former player, yeah, I throw out there, I play, I actually got a college scholarship and played two summers of semi-pro when I'm talking to a guy who played high school. I do, I do. That That is, that's kind of the status of the sport that you played. And for the Hall of Fame guys, I guarantee you, Mario Rivera is walking around a little bit bigger chested because he was the first 100% guy. Does it make it right or wrong? And I don't think he would ever gloat about it because it doesn't seem like that kind of guy. But you know what? That's got to make him feel a little bit better. So I think that that is a big deal. But like for Edgar, even with all the power that Ortiz had, Edgar Martinez still has a better career OPS, which in my opinion, if you're going to go to one stat, that is the best definition of a hitter, all things considered, if you're just going to look at one stat. And he has a better lifetime OPS than David Ortiz. And if you put Edgar Martinez in the same era that David Ortiz was, I bet you he has better numbers all the way around. I bet you he has more power. He was the type of hitter that could do anything you asked him to do. And to your point, Daniel, he got asked to hit for a high average and get on base and move the chain. 
He did not get asked to hit guys in like Ortiz was asked to do. I, I am very, very certain if you swap those two players, you put Ortiz on the team that Edgar Martinez was on, that Ortiz does not do as well as Edgar Martinez in those, in those years and vice versa. The last thing I want to say is I want a petition. I think the Hall of Fame should change its name from the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame to the Major League Baseball Media Relations Hall of Fame. Because this truly just fucked over any credibility. You're putting in a guy that tested positive for steroids and keeping two guys out that never tested positive. Also, wasn't illegal when Bonds did it. Say all you want. Is it cheating? Fuck yeah, it is. But it's not illegal. There's some spots I can drive 70 miles an hour in California and not get pulled over. There's some, there's some spots in California where I'm not only getting arrested. I've got a 10-year bid in prison because of going 75 miles an hour in a school zone. To your point about context, that's what it is here. And this sucks because David Ortiz had a great smile. He treated everybody well. And he is the he, first ballot Hall of Famer. No, a Hall of Famer at all. I, and I do truly like David Ortiz. I really think he is a part of changing the game in a positive way in so many levels. But his play on the field, in my opinion, does not belong to the greats that are in there for a full career. I just don't. And hot take, whatever you want. I don't think he's a Hall of Famer unless you're going strictly postseason. Yeah, man. I mean, look, I think I think when it comes to him, he did hit some of the the major markers that you look for, right? Like he had over 500 home runs, which, it, you know, no 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 more than 10, 15 year, years ago, that was an automatic Hall of Fame bid, right? Um, I, I think the, there's only what like a, a couple of guys who have over 500 home runs who are not in the Hall of Fame. That might be Palmero and I think Sosa, you know. So, you know it. It's hard of Ortiz, the DH. Two other steroid guys that never actually. Yeah, I mean, look, I think we, with we, it, but we can we can have yeah. a whole conversation on the steroid thing, right? Because you know, depending on where you fall, I, I think it's stupid. I think you competed against other people um, that were doing it as well. We don't necessarily know who who did, who who didn't. Um, you know what I mean, and I think the biggest the biggest stain on the MLB Hall of Fame is that you have so many statistical leaders who aren't in there. Right, like, and, and it goes back to like Pete Rose, bro. Like, how do you keep? I mean, like, and, and you can have your personal opinions on them, whatever it is. But I think as an institution, like, your job isn't there to play morality police. Your job is to out, you know, put out there, you know, who are the greatest who played this game, right? Um, and whether you want to judge them for their personalities or, or or their histories, right? It's about what happened in between those lines, in my opinion. Right? You know what I mean? And in between those lines, you have guys like A Rod who who didn't, you know, get he, he would much have the same allegations as David Ortiz you know you, you have A-Rod you have Roger Clemens right you have Barry Bonds these three you know potentially Mount Rushmore type guys that aren't in your hall of fame and you know to both your points you do have David Ortiz who is lesser than those guys and lesser by a large degree right and again I don't want to take too much from, from David Ortiz because he did have a great career and I, in my opinion he's an all famer but when you compare him to the guys that are out of the Hall of Fame right now, as of this, as of this date, it, it is kind of a joke. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, th that being said, guys, we, we kind of went over this by 17 minutes. You know, we we um we got a little excited. It's been a while, so I I, I can see why. Um, but hey, man, do you guys got do you guys want to wrap it up with anything, man? Nick, I'll go to you first. Yeah, one quick thing. Since uh, Rob talked about the difference in the in the Padres' offense and pitching, I looked it up. Why not? So. Man, uh, Tatis did not help at all. Bef before his injury, uh, the team hit two. And I can only go slash lines because that's really going to be the only fair comparison. You can't go home runs because of the length of time. But pre-injury, he hit two for uh, the team. The Padres, 245, 320 on base, 411 slugging, 738 OPS. When he was gone, 
259, 311, or sorry, 318 on base, 396 slugging, and 715 OPS. All of them down while he was gone for sure. When he came back, everything went down even more. 231 average, 306 on base, not too far from 318. But your slugging was still down at 375, or sorry, 379, and your on base, your OPS was 685. They were in the sixes when he came back. And he came back August 15th. You're talking August, September, and those couple games in October where the team hit under 700 for their OPS and their WRC plus just went way down. It's, I don't know. I think the Padres team at that point, because they had been on them so long, thought he was just going to come in and take over. And maybe that's his impact. Maybe that's what I'm missing is that everybody else relied on him. And if he can't truly carry the entire team on his own, maybe he's too good for that team in an aspect of they feel like they can kind of coast. The pitching did get real shit real quick when he was gone. So that definitely was a big part of their record. But their offense went down too, which is why, to me, I think Tatis hasn't really put that all on the field as far as being a leader. He might be a little bit too big for that team, but I'm hoping he's not. I'm hoping he shines because the personality, that's what I want to see. He is going to grow the game internationally on his own, and you throw all the other guys in there as well. The game could be in a really good place. I just hope we get back as soon as possible. Yeah, no, uh, just to kind of go along with that, I think going back to the first point that we made when we opened up this episode, you know, this is the first episode of 2022. Um, so hopefully we do end up having some sort of season so we can bust out, you know, a whole lot more episode than talk about guys doing more amazing things in the sport. But going back to our first point, I think, look, MLB needs to stop shooting itself in the foot. You, you're, you're, you're literally at the point in your history where you probably have the biggest crop of of young players that have superstar level potential and like what like what we were talking about even if we're not even if we're not talking about the MLB comparing with the NFL or the NBA in terms of TV ratings or anything like that but in terms of like superstar power in terms of of players that are recognizable when you see them walking down the street and stuff like that you know players that kids want to be like players that 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 can you know start making like their own swag and releasing like you know like t-shirts and hoodies and things like that you know and 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 kids rocking their jerseys to events and all this type of stuff i mean i probably think since the steroid era we're probably at the best point we've ever been like whether you're talking about uh a trout you know and i thought about this idea earlier it's something we can get into on a later episode too right but in terms of like uh all-star festivities and things like that right for the future of the mlb dude one thing that i would love to see why don't we start having like like a like a um it's not really like a like a rookie versus vets game but you you get what i mean like a like a young like less than 25 to like a less than 25 roster versus like the guys that are the star players that are in like that next age group up you know so on one team you have like your trouts and your mookie bets and your aaron judges and things like that and on another team you have your vladdies and your tatis juniors and your acuna juniors you know like the two eras that are currently like carrying the sport and things like that. You have superstars all over, man. And it now is the time to stop shooting yourself in the foot, get to the table, negotiate the CBA so that these superstars can keep playing, man. Do not waste a year, bro. Like I really do not want to see a wasted year. Like like a, a year with no baseball is a tragedy. Like let these guys go out there and just ball out and keep showing people that baseball is a fun sport. That you can that you can have fun while you're playing the sport. That goes out to everybody out there that's trying to shut down the Vladdies and the Tatis Juniors and everybody else in the game. Let let all the Juan Sotos, like let all these guys actually enjoy the sport. Like, please, what is so wrong with actually enjoying the sport that you play? Like, 
Again, MLB, please just get to the table. Get that CBA done. We really want baseball. We're going to be back next week with another episode. And I hope that one of these weeks that we come back with an episode, we can say a CBA has been reached, an agreement has been reached. We're getting some type of baseball this year. So definitely just going to keep being hopeful for good news. Let's hope we have a season. The one thing that we do know is that we will have an MLB The Show coming out this year. By the way, dude, sickest cover I've seen in, Fire. in a Show long time. He deserves it, man. He deserves dude. it. I mean, again, you guys... I, I have nothing against the dude. I think, yeah. I think his hype – look, I think the people that have that, that get the, the extremists on his hype train kind of like are the guys that I look at as like, yo, chill. Like, y- y- y'all pushing this guy way too fast. But the guy is a superstar. Like, I'm not denying the fact that he's a superstar, both both as as just a person who can put up stats and both as a guy who people want to emulate and be around and be like, you know? Yo, one of the funniest skits I've seen this last week, there's a, um, it went back to Stephen A. Smith saying that Shohei, Shohei couldn't be the face of baseball because yeah. he speaks fluent English. There was a clip where somebody put together, no, nah, Shohei speaks fluent English, and it's just clips of him fucking cussing in English over and over and over again. Right. It was great. He, uh, he's the right dude for it. Nah, bro, it's a fa- it's a face of the sport. Like it's we we have to we have to stop all all that stuff too about like that whole thing that we were getting on of you not being able to speak English or whatever. Yo, I mean, bro, you could be Japanese, you can be American, you you could be you could be you know from any Latino country. You you could be the face of this sport. That's the that's one of the greatest things about it, right? Like we talk about a Shohei Otani the same way that we talk about a Mike Trout, the same way that we talk about a Juan Soto, Fernando Tatis Jr., a Vladdy. People coming out of all types of countries and becoming superstars in this sport. Like it's it's one of it's one honestly one of the greatest things. Yeah, man. Look, and 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 just to stay on that point for a little bit, like the MLB has to take its cue from from soccer, not the MLS, but not the MLS. <laughs> yeah. Soccer, like right. international soccer. International, international. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like. You know, if you see teams like PSG and and Barcelona and stuff like that, these are some of the biggest religions in the world, where people are literally, you know, that that is what they live for. And for a while, baseball was that was was that. You know, what I mean, like there's a reason why the Yankee hat became one of the most popular trademarks in the in the world. You know, what I mean, but you know, baseball has to make its effort in doing so, right? So you know, showcase Otani, man. Otani's nothing but great for the sport. He he was nothing but fun to watch last year. It was insane. And I think this new anime cover of him on the show, one, it's sick as hell because anime transcends languages, right? Like, I know no matter what language you're in, there's anime for you. Um, shout out to Dragon Ball Z. Um, but also, you know, the, the, the one point that I, I also want to end on is, yo, baseball owners, baseball people, get smarter about who your face is behind the scenes. Rob Manfred has done nothing but fuck this sport over since he came in. And while I get that maybe monetarily it's been better, right? Like, I know the owners have made more money since Rob Manfred has been in it. There's so much negative news behind it, right? Where he has to take a page out of Roger Goodell and stay the fuck away, right? Like, the NFL got better when people stopped talking about Roger Goodell so much. Where, like, in the last couple of years, it's been, oh, shit, he really likes peanut M&Ms. Not oh shit, he has something to say about fucking everything, right? So Rob Manfred, do yourself a favor. Stay the fuck out of it, right? Um, remember this game's about the fans. Like, you're a lawyer that doesn't make, that doesn't, nobody gives a fuck, right? Like, no, nobody cares. Like, do the right thing for, for, for baseball and, and the game, right? End this lockout as, as quickly as you fucking can, right? Like, don't, don't make it about some stupid little pinpoint shit 
right? Like come to agreement, right? M make it about this game 10, 20 years from now, not the pockets tomorrow and the next day. Um, and hopefully we're, we're in a better place as a sport. But, yo, that, that is it for us. Um, we'll catch you guys next time, man. We're, we're glad to be back, though.